The world needs your voice. Shine your bright light. Live joy and share joy. Joy seekers, joy givers, anyone looking for an infusion of joy, you've come to the right place. My name is Deb McGregor. We've got another great show lined up for you. But first, let's give a great big thank you to our sponsor. When it comes to planning for your future, you want an advisor who understands your Christian values. Ameriprise Financial Advisors Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson offer financial planning based on biblical principles. They can help you plan for your goals in a way that is consistent with your faith. Call Gina Ripkema, Shelley Loff, and Donna Gunderson today. Office is located downtown Bemidji at 122 3rd Street Northwest or at 1202 1st Street East in Park Rapids. Ameriprise Financial offers financial services without regard to religious affiliation or cultural background. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Arise Financial Group, a division of Ameriprise Financial Services, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Thank you so much, and thanks to all of you for choosing to tune in and listen today. I am so pleased to welcome Carmita Bratland to the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's this nice has been be a long time coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've both been praying about this for a long time. Yeah. So... Uh, for those of you that don't know Carmita, she's got quite a testimony and quite a journey. And we are going to be actually kind of digging in for two shows, actually. There's so much to talk about. And we're going to be talking about loss. We're going to be talking about grief. And we're also going to be talking about is there joy in the midst of this? So you can just get a feel of what our show is going to look like over the next couple of weeks. So Carmita, I would love for people to get to know you a little bit better first. So let's just give them a broad stroke of you, where you were raised, a little bit about your profession prior to becoming mom, etc. Sure. Um, I was raised in Bemidji and um, grew up in a Christian home and so always just had a relationship with God where um, starting from a young age where I just wanted to I wanted to please the Lord I wanted to do the right things Um, and I went to nursing school uh, right out of high school and got an, an amazing job with an OBGYN doctor in the clinic and also in the operating room and I believe that's where you and I met. It is, right in the OR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only I was laying on a table. <laughs> right, right. So um, I worked there uh, for 15 years and um, ended up getting married a little later in life at age 34. My husband was 42 uh, when we got married, just and looked forward to having a family um, and... it. Well, this is... It always... We have to take a little pause in this moment because I was just saying to you before we went live that I remember seeing you on the bike path and you were roller skating. Was it roller skating or blading? blading. It was the blading. Okay. I was thinking, I couldn't remember Mm -hmm. it was the blades or the roller skates. And I ran into you and this must have been about a year to two years before you got married. I can't remember the exact, you know, it it was around that time. And you looked so happy and I said, oh, are you dating somebody? I'm like, you look so happy. (laughs) You said, no, I've just really decided I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm really digging into my relationship with the Lord. And I figure that everything else will follow. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I know, I hear you're getting married. (laughs) I was like, "Ah, look at that. But I thought that was so cool. And Mm -hmm. I remember that really, it was a brief conversation, but it really, it stuck out so much in my mind that I 
mm-hmm. reminded you of that conversation because I thought, how beautiful is that, that you were choosing to seek the Lord mm-hmm. and his direction and his focus and what he wanted for you? Because most women I knew at that age, if they were not married, it was their whole focus was, well, how am I going to meet a guy? Right. Right. It, instead mm-hmm. of how can I get to know the Lord more and trust right. him to bring in the right person for me. Right. So that's something I always admired about you. And of course, um, the fact that you were there to welcome our daughter into the world with yes. Dr. Armstrong was amazing. <laughs> and and it's interesting, too, because even though, obviously, I was, you know, laying on a table, I remember you because mm. I remember thinking, that girl has a light. There mm. is something about her that I really, really like. And, and I... It's funny because at the time, of course, I didn't know what I didn't know because I just was not in that realm. I, mm. I, I could see the light, but I wasn't. it wasn't in wow. that same realm. Mm-hmm. And I, I do remember thinking that, boy, whatever she's got, I think I want a little piece of that because she is like amazingly happy. And boy, it's been a long labor. And <laughs> right, da, 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 right. right. And she's still a light. So <laughs> there's got to be something about that, you know, which I thought mm. was really cool. So um, it's amazing the impact we have on people. And I can't even imagine how many people you impacted in working in OB. I just pray that my impact, whatever impact that was there then, carries on today. I just had um, someone message me in the last two weeks that said, um, you were there during my hard time for me. And I just, I didn't even realize that. Um, So it's it's all the lord it's when we're letting him use us you know i didn't always have good days and um it wasn't always perfect but i always hoped that um i could make connections with people and make them feel loved and cared for Mm -hmm. yeah amen yeah and you do and you you still do even Mm -hmm. though you're not in that as a profession Mm -hmm. uh working there anymore you're you're still making that impact So you and I have been praying about you coming on the show to talk about, quite frankly, some heavier things. And when I reached out to say, is it time you said, oh, my goodness, I was just on Psalm 116 and I got a confirmation. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're supposed to start there with Psalm 116. I just feel like the Lord is speaking. Read it right now. Let's do it. And because this really is for you what was like the go ahead. It was the green light. Right. I just wasn't sure if uh, God was leading me here. Um, to this microphone to share um, across the airwaves with other people um, this story. Uh, I've been led in other ways to share my story, many ways, um, but I just wasn't sure. And so I opened up my Bible and I was like, I just, I had been praying all day and I thought, I just need to read the word. And the first thing I opened up to, which was not, I I was not opening my Bible just to have it fall open to something, but that's what happened, um, was Psalm 116. And it says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. 
In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Hmm. Wow. We could do a whole show just on Psalm 116, we sure could. right? It's just, whoo, that is, there's so mm-hmm. much in there. How did that speak to you about coming on today? Um, you know, it talked about uh, being in distress. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I've experienced that. Um, and it says, I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. And, and I can't tell you how many times in the last six years I've said, six, seven years I've prayed, God help me, God help me, when I couldn't pray anything else. Um, And then it talks about, it it turns the corner, the Lord is gracious and righteous, full of compassion, and I felt the compassion of God too in my suffering. Um, Talks about how good God has been to me, Um, but what really stood out to me was verse 12, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? What am I doing in return for his goodness to me? How am I giving to the Lord and serving him? And I just felt that this could be one of those ways. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. And one of the other parts that really stuck out to me is the part where they talk about being the affliction. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things as we go into really digging into the show a little bit more is that this does not mean that there's not affliction, right? This does not mean that there has not been discouragement and yet your faith and trust in the Lord and knowing that he will get you through this Mm -hmm. has made all the difference. Absolutely. And if this can be a source of hope, Mm -hmm. which is your life word Mm -hmm. for other people that you have said, yeah, the Lord has given me the green light here. This, that Psalm really spoke to you. Yeah. It sure did. So there's so much to really go with here. And I feel like we almost need to start back to you got married at age 34. Yes. To a 42-year-old man. Yep. You married an older man. (laughs) Yep. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's fantastic. And as with any marriage, there are hopes, there's dreams, Mm -hmm. there's all these amazing things, right? Mm -hmm. It's the fairy tale, right? So take us back to that point and just kind of get us started a little bit into your journey. Okay. So um, we had, um, I don't know, I guess we did start with that fairy tale feeling. Um, we knew life wasn't a fairy tale, but we were very happy to be married, very happy to be together. Um, we both waited for a long time for this, and we both had hopes and dreams of having a family. And so when our daughter was born, um, two years later after our marriage, um, we were ecstatic. Like, we still can't get enough of her, really. Um, she's eight now. Um, and, and we were just so thrilled. And we couldn't wait to, uh, in time, grow our family more so that she would have siblings. Um, but we were just very happy. And my husband was working for his dad as a logger. He'd always worked for his dad um, his entire life. So I guess the first big blow came 
um, in 2013. We got married 2011. The end of 2013, um, I got a call that my father-in-law had passed out on the way home from work. My husband was driving. And, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, we were all, everybody in the family were like, okay, well, he'll go get checked out at the ER and he'll be okay. But what we didn't know was that he had slumped over and had probably died very shortly after he slumped over in the pickup. So my husband watched his father, his best friend, his employer <laughs> um, die right in front of his eyes. And so that was the first big blow. Um, very devastating. My father-in-law is just one of the kindest people you could ever meet. Um, and we miss him so much. Um, every day we miss him. Um, but my husband, it was, it was difficult walking through that journey with him of his deep, deep, deep grief of the loss of his dad and the man that he was with all the time. The man he worked for, the man he, they did everything together. If you saw one, the other one wasn't far away. Um, so I found that to be our first real challenge in marriage. I didn't know how to comfort him. I tried. Um, I really couldn't say his dad's name because he would get upset. Um, and that was really hard for me. You're bringing this up, and I think this is really important. You tried to comfort him the best that you could. Mm -hmm. One thing that's very interesting about the grief process and loss is people have different ways Mm -hmm. of moving through this there are different stages of it and it can be a challenge at times to know how can I be there for that person yes. so there may be people listening that have also experienced this type of situation maybe not exactly the mm -hmm. same details but yeah. where a spouse loses a parent especially one with whom they're very close mm -hmm. what are some things that you learned that were useful or that you would want to share with someone, um, giving space, time, listening? Mm -hmm. What are some of the things you found to be most useful? You know, I just had to continue to love him the way that he received love. And that was just in a quiet way. It wasn't, um, he, he didn't want to talk about his dad because it just brought up so many emotions for him. It was very difficult for him to talk about his dad. Uh, and then he was also um, put in a difficult situation with his employment because mm -hmm. he he had been his dad's um, employee. And so then we were faced with this overwhelming decision. Do we buy the business? So it was a lot of stuff, but but the definitely the most difficult thing for him was the grief of the loss of his dad. And I just had to learn ways to love him. I took cues from him. I found what um, bothered him and what didn't bother him. And I just had to love him through it. It sounds like a lot of grace, mm -hmm. a lot of mercy, mm -hmm. a lot of space. And I think this is, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think one of the challenges is sometimes when we see someone hurting, we don't always give space. We try to almost, I'm going to say, force ourselves right. into it when maybe what that person is just looking for is just just give me a little space, mm -hmm. be aware, maybe a little more aware than we normally are. Mm -hmm. And I love that you really tried to meet him where he was at. Mm -hmm. That was the gift. Yeah, and I had to learn along the way, you know, and it was hard. I'm a naturally, you know, when you work as a nurse and you're yeah. wanting, the person that wants to fix people and be compassionate and and talk to them and um it, it was it was very difficult I, I had to 
it was a learning curve for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a process. Mm-hmm. This this is the thing. I think sometimes we think, oh, you know, that's this is the right amount of time for mm-hmm. somebody to be in grief. That is not. No. Whoever wrote that book, just I don't even know where, where they came up with it. Right. Everybody is different. Every mm-hmm. process is different. Every mm-hmm. relationship is different. Mm-hmm. And and different things come up at different times that just reminds you. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's that memory. Or yes. There's that something. Or smells. Smells. Sounds. Any of the above. Mm-hmm. Just all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my goodness. And some, it's interesting. I don't know if you found this, but sometimes I feel like it's just could be because it's out there. Sometimes I feel like God gives us those things to just mm-hmm. say that like, here's a good memory, too. Like, it's both, yeah. right? Yeah. But we have to be in a place to receive it as that. Right. And that's a part of that process, right? Yes. That's a part of that. It's it's a, it's fascinating, actually. Mm-hmm. I find it very fascinating. Mm-hmm. So you're working through the grief of your husband's father passing mm-hmm. and the multi-layers of that. And then you get another challenge. Yeah. So six months later, um, my 90-year-old grandma passed away. She was at home, um, just actually a peaceful passing. Um, and not that surprising since she was 90. Um, but still it was the first grandparent that I had lost and she, um, had lived at home with my grandpa and their handicapped son. Their firstborn son was handicapped from a birth injury. And so the three of them always lived together. That was what I knew. They lived on the farm and, um, I went to her funeral in Pennsylvania and saw my grandpa and my uncle, who the handicapped uncle, who was very, my favorite uncle, just a really special guy. And um, eight weeks later, very suddenly, my grandpa passed away, her husband, um, and he was 89. um, And he had been caring for my uncle at their home. Uh, so this basically left my uncle an orphan. You know, if you think of a young child, mm-hmm. he, w- he was like a young child and he was devastated. He would sit on the edge of his bed and cry for his mom at night. It was just mm-hmm. absolutely heartbreaking. Um, so six weeks after my grandpa died, he had deteriorated in his health and he passed away at age 65. Just very, um, very unusual, very... Um, hard to understand. Um, So you literally have this family unit mm -hmm. of your grandma, your grandpa and your uncle Mm -hmm. that in the course of weeks, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. this from May to August, Yeah, from May to August, Mm -hmm. all three of them pass away. While you are still processing Mm -hmm. the death of your father in law, your husband's father. Yes. So take us to that time period. What is happening for you? How this like there's so much complex reality mm-hmm. here for you. You know, it was really overwhelming and it was really hard to watch my dad uh, processing all of that because it was his parents and his brother. Um, very difficult and very hard to understand why this all happened in such a short amount of time. And, and actually, my most traumatic event came not long after that, so I don't have a lot of memories of that time. I just do remember feeling like it was overwhelming and, mm-hmm. and just being so sad for my dad, too, um, just in his grief yeah. for so many losses all at once. Well, and I'm, it's interesting when you're talking about because it's like grief stacked upon grief stacked. I mean, it's like everybody in the system mm-hmm. has all of this grief going on mm-hmm. and... Yeah, where do you even start? And how are you supporting? Did you have a lot of support from people outside the family unit? Yes, yes. I have um, 
some incredible friends uh, in my life and uh, a really great and supportive church family. And without those people, <laughs> I don't know where I'd be. So It's interesting with you because you have such a strong church background. Like, you know where your faith is. Mm-hmm. You know who your people are. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine going through something like this no. without faith and without a group of people like that? No. Like, I can't even, it's like the fat, just to even fathom mm-hmm. the concept. Not to mention, where is somebody going when they pass away, right? right. I mean, there's right. that piece of it, too. Mm-hmm. So... You've alluded to it. Next comes so, the really big. Yeah. So during backing up in that same year, we had found out we were expecting our second child and we were so excited. And uh, my due date was just days after what would be the first anniversary of my father-in-law's passing. So it looked like it was just God's redemption. You know, there's going to be a new baby in the family. And even though we'll be facing this first anniversary without my father-in-law, there will be new life in the family. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not really sure (laughs) how to go into this, but um, I guess I can just say I was 38 weeks and four days pregnant and my water broke at home and I kind of had an indication that something wasn't quite, quite right because it was bloody and that's not supposed to be the case and went to the hospital fairly quickly took our took our daughter to her grandma's house and went to the hospital and um I just remember on the way in not feeling the baby move and we got there and the nurse was checking me in entering my stuff my information into the computer and Finally, I stopped her and I said, can you just find the baby's heartbeat? I'm just really nervous. I'm just really scared. And she said, oh, sure. So she starts looking and she couldn't find it right away. And then all of a sudden there it was. And I I was like, oh, I just started to sob. I just thought my arm just just went on like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) I I sobbed. And I look back on that and think, I don't even understand that. (laughs) Because they did blood work and an ultrasound and I was so nervous and I had never been nervous with my first labor at all I told my nurses I'm like I'm just so nervous I feel like something's not right and um it must have been about three hours after I got to the hospital that the baby's heart rate just bottomed out it just tanked and I started hollering for the nurses to come in and of course they have alarms going off at the nurse's station and they came in I was rushed down to the operating room for an emergency c-section and um, when I woke up they had to put me to sleep because it was so urgent and uh, I was having an abruption where the placenta tears away from the uterus and I had done hundreds of c-sections on other women and c-sections in this very same type of situation where you save the baby's life you hardly ever lose a baby and um I woke up two hours later they had kept me asleep for two hours so that they could work on our our daughter we didn't know we were having a girl but it was our little Anna and um I heard the pediatrician talking to my husband and and there's people surrounding me in the recovery room and I knew actually I knew when I went to sleep in the operating room, I was pretty sure she wasn't going to make it. And I saw all these people as I woke up, the pediatricians talking to my husband about not taking heroic measures. And 
I don't remember being distraught, but my mom was there and she said I was distraught. And I just remember being very firm and saying, I want to hold my baby. Give me my baby. I want to hold her. I need to hold her. And so my doctor, who's also the doctor I worked for for 15 years, a very good friend of mine, he came and he told me, do you know what that means if we bring her to you? And I said, she's dying. And he said, yes. So they extubated her. They took a tu- the tube out of her and they brought her to my husband and I. And... Um, we had three precious minutes with her before she went to be with Jesus. And um, just to be with someone when they're making that transition to be holding her, um, it's a powerful moment. In the moment, I didn't think about that. I was just completely and utterly devastated. And I still kind of am devastated that we lost her, but I have a lot of hope. Um, so let's just, we can just take a pause and just both probably share a couple tears. And I'm sure everybody listening right now is, is probably shedding some tears too. Mm-hmm. There's this moment when you're talking about the people being there and them asking, do you know what this means? And you did. Mm-hmm. I did. And yet you knew you had this gift of these precious minutes. Mm-hmm. And the only time she ever opened her eyes was when she heard my voice. The nurses and the doctors that had been caring for her said she had never opened her eyes. They had resuscitated her and, and gotten her somewhat stable, but she, she was very fra- in a very fragile situation. Her blood work was just awful. Um, she'd suffered severe damage to so many of her organs just from all the blood in my uterus that was, she, she couldn't breathe. Um, so, um, yeah, so when they, she hadn't opened her eyes, but when I started talking to her, they said she opened her eyes. And to me, I didn't realize what a huge yeah. moment that was, but she heard her mama's voice and she knew it. Yeah. It's, as a mom... We know that feeling. Mm-hmm. Your kids know, and, and that mm-hmm. I don't think that bond ever goes away. No, it's like you just know when you know. Mm-hmm. I don't. Need, my daughter doesn't even live with us anymore, and I just know when there's something wrong. I just—it's yeah. like mother's intuition. This mm-hmm. is not a lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this there is something to this, and Absolutely. I completely believe in that. And yeah. and what a gift that she opened her eyes for you. I know, and I know. I know that it would be nice if we had a bigger gift and yet absolutely that blessing of that moment Mm -hmm. that you had Mm -hmm. and that she knew you and God knew that I would need that to hold on to that precious gift of those three minutes and and those open eyes for her mama yeah Mm -hmm. you spent your entire career taking care of others Mm -hmm going into those ORs with people, saving other people's babies. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden, you're on the other side Mm -hmm. and you are experiencing this. I just, I cannot even imagine. Soul-crushing pain. Devastation. I thought I knew. And and as a person who grew up walking with the Lord, I thought I knew how to trust God. But I felt like my trust in God, if you imagine a whiteboard and it had everything on there about how I knew how to trust God, somebody had taken an eraser and erased all of it. I didn't know how to trust him anymore. I said, God, I don't even know 
what this means anymore. Who are you? Why would you do this to me? And it, it, it hurts so bad. So devastating. And I can't, I'm just thinking about just that feeling of, I've always thought about like women in the maternity area where not everybody goes home with a baby. Right. And mm-hmm. not that you hadn't seen it before, mm-hmm. but when it's you. Oh. And the other thing I think that's so important is here you are, you've got this immense faith. And even you said, God, how do I trust you? Mm-hmm. And I think this is important for us in our humanity to understand because mm-hmm. even the person with the strongest faith mm-hmm. has those moments. And in those moments, we say, God, how do I trust you again? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Yeah. And the devastation, I just, oh, soul, soul crushing is yeah. such a great description. Mm-hmm. And then to go home and see all the the car seat that was waiting for her and the baby clothes that were waiting for her and the big sister that was waiting for her and and my husband and I just both deeply deeply grieving and when when he was grieving his father that was his parent and and I loved his father but I didn't have him for as many years as he did and um but when it's your child together to try to navigate the waters of grief together it feels impossible where do you even start I I guess we just started with a lot of crying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would wail, and I understood wailing. Um, you know, the Bible speaks of people wailing in their grief, and I understood that. I understood that when I handed her to um, the man that came from the funeral home to pick her up from the hospital. I had time with her. Um, they let me keep her in my room even after she passed for quite a long time, which was precious because... When you didn't get to know her before and you didn't know what she looked like before, to have that time was really um, valuable. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know where we even started, really. We just tried to do life together the best that we could. And you also had your other daughter yeah, At and home. she was almost two. So that's, I was curious about, because you're still caring for her, mm-hmm. and a two-year-old mm-hmm. can require quite a bit mm-hmm. of attention. And she didn't understand, and she'd say, Mama's sad, Mama's sad. And and I know it was so hard for her. It was so confusing for her. Um, she didn't understand what had happened. We have beautiful pictures that my friend took of the two of them, of her just proudly holding her sister, having no idea that her sister wasn't coming home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to try to be a parent in the midst of such devastation is very difficult. When they need to have their diaper changed and they need to be fed and they need to be uh, put down for a nap and everything feels so overwhelming. The smallest, like, what are we going to have for dinner feels overwhelming, you know, mm-hmm. much less taking care of another human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was curious about people helping to care for you and your family. What do people say? I'm sure there's people listening here who may have gone through this or maybe helping someone else who has. What do you say to that person? How Mm -hmm. do you be with them? Mm -hmm. I think this is really an important conversation for people because sometimes we just don't even know what to say. Yeah. Um, We were fortunate to be surrounded by 
uh, an incredible um, community of people from our families to our church family. Um, they brought in meals for us. They brought gifts for our daughter, which I was, I never would have thought of that, um, just to make her feel cared for, which was really sweet. Um, but I found that the people that brought the most comfort were just the people that were just there. They didn't have to try to have an answer for why this happened or um, there weren't any platitudes. They were just there to love me, to care for me. That was the most helpful, I would say. Thank you for joining us for Live Joy, Share Joy. Join us again next week as we bring you part two and continue this conversation loss and grief.